this is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by someone I know very well, um, Dion Rayside, who is the CRM director for Engine UK. So Dion, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Pleasure is all ours, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to jumping into this. So where we always start, Dion, is by asking our guests to give themselves a, I guess, a brief introduction into their illustrious background and, I guess, journey up until this point, if you'd be so kind. Okay, fabulous. Um, <laughs> I like to say that I've had a really diverse career because, um, actually, I started my career in HR rather than um, marketing. So I kind of started in HR and kind of navigated my way into marketing and specifically CRM and data. Um, Worked in HR for about three years um, and then kind of hit a point where I was asked to choose a specialism quite early on. And I already knew that that would instantly stagnate my progress in the profession in itself. So I just felt like it was giving me a glass ceiling way too early. So um, yeah, I kind of decided to um, try and change directions and kind of entered what you call um, what's now called CRM, but using and um, working for a third party call center in itself. So a customer mm-hmm. services for um, American Insurance Group, but it was third party. So even though we, we answered calls, we have technically um, call center alliance, which is a completely different um, agency. Did that for about three years, qualified with my IDM, which was the Institute of Direct Marketing at the point that I was there. So after that, I kind of entered a sales role um, and doing data sales, which was really great because I didn't have sales experience, but I knew I wanted to be part of a bigger part of marketing in itself. So that worked really, really well. And again, I I did sales for about five years did three company changes and progress from starting at new business, kind of doing cold calling, progress all the way up to sales director level um, with, yeah, three company changes and three moves later, I was a sales director. Did that. Sales can be quite um, groundhog day is what I'd call it in so far as every start of the month, you go back to zero and you start up again, trying to build out your kind of um, your sales target, so to speak. So, I decided at that point, because I'd already been introduced to data, it was only a small part of the kind of closed loop data planning. So it was the introducing third party data into um, brands doing their ongoing marketing. So I kind of wanted to get into the full customer view. So um, that was my navigation and my first kind of role into um, 
CRM in itself. It was um, fueled by a lady that I'd known having worked in the sales side, Liz Sullivan, um, a few years ago, but she was a great ally and kind of introduced me to um, a company called Experian Integrated Marketing, um, which was a Experian Integrated Marketing Clarity Blue Stroke Sky blended company. And um, we worked for Sky basically looking after their CRM across acquisition, retention and in life customer comms, which meant that I was able to cut my teeth in data planning in itself. And I mean, the rest I'll say is history. I've been sort of data insight, customer, you know, customer insight ever since in itself. And that's kind of led me through an agency background working across multiple clients like telcos, like um, automotive, et cetera, into where I am now, which is at Engine Transformation. Um, yep. So I met Will um, a couple of years ago, and I joined about about a year ago now as CRM director here at um, Engine Transformation. Nice, nice. It's a, um unusual career it's story very very unusual <laughs> and it's very it... very diverse and I'll, I will admit that I used to be quite embarrassed about it um in itself when you sort of like spoke to people that you know had gone through their whole career of doing one know what they wanted to do because I was like oh my gosh I look like I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I moved around a bit but um yeah over time sort of what 20 plus years later I'm kind of going actually that diversity of experience in the different areas um, has been great and when I look at it holistically I'm like actually it's my interest in people because I started out with HR which is people um, and it's still and when now obviously I'm working in CRM but it's still about understanding behaviors motivations and needs it's just looking at it from two different lenses so yeah, yeah I kind of think my career helped me yeah well more than it hindered without a doubt and i think there's there'll be plenty of people listening to this who you know uh, are maybe in one domain or whatever the case may be that probably want to move more into a mainstream data type of role but mm -hmm. kind of feel the fact that they don't work directly in data that that hinders them and i i bang on about this all the time but obviously there's so many roles now coming up in the spectrum of data it isn't just a data analyst or a data engineer or a data scientist and there's a lot of you know a lot of benefit now for businesses to be hiring people from different backgrounds because mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of, you know we, we hear all the time right about the the soft skills the understanding people all of that yeah. type of stuff the storytelling that's become its own thing now um so yeah. i think that's a real yeah. kind of great success story that you know you don't have to have started out as an analyst and worked your way up to become a director stayed on on that kind of track you know you kind mm -hmm. of been across different roles different domains um and obviously i know will very well um and i know that one of the reasons that he really liked you was because of that diverse background and experience that you had right which is <laughs> very uh very interesting so i guess tell tell the audience a little bit about engine transformation for anyone that might not be too familiar so Engine Transformation are a technology and data consultancy. And basically what we aim to do is define, design, build and operate um, products and services for actual customers. 
So we work about across both private and public sector in terms of um, customers and brands and so forth. We've got five distinct um, capabilities that all sit under one team. So it's, it's still having that um, diverse experience in itself. So we work across data and analytics. We work across um, research and service design, um, as well as strategy and innovation, which is another team of ours, technology and that change in delivery um, in itself. So it's quite a broad set of disciplines, um, diverse experience, but we bring that all under one team because all has their strengths and weaknesses and so forth that we support to actually help our customers understand more and deliver more through data, tech and um, customer and or employee experiences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fine. And I guess where, where does your role sit within that engine transformation organisation? So I'm um, CRM director. Uh, I work in the data and insight team. And really for us, it's about helping clients understand and maximize opportunities across data and tech. Um, So it's about being able to deliver seamless customer experiences across the multi-channel touch point in different touch points where customers will um, interact with your organization. But it's also about um, driving um, personalized and relevant comms at the right time for the right customer with the right message in a timely manner yeah in itself so driving that sort of personalized approach yeah absolutely just reflecting there but what a um what a success story when you you look back right you know so now responsible for leading a team in a consultancy that's helping and obviously in your previous roles as well right helped Mm -hmm. some of the biggest brands in the world understand their customers more and make better decisions as businesses about their customers um, having been on this um, very unusual career path, which again, yeah. just reflecting means, you know, it, it's, it's really good to, to see because I think we, we need to talk more about this, this type of stuff in, in the industry, I believe. Um, so look, obviously really keen to jump into the meat of today's topic, which is around, you know, how businesses can leverage CRM and their data mm-hmm. to to kind of maximize opportunities um, within their businesses. Um, obviously, um, as you also know, we we, we here at Orbition are very um, kind of proactive and you know passionate about diversity and inclusion. Um, so, just wanted to get your thoughts as someone that definitely will have been through a whole array of experiences in what is you know a very male dominated uh, environment kind of just what your experience has been with diversity because the the phrase diversity and I'm doing the little quotation marks here but you know means different things to different people right yeah. so I, I always like to kind of just understand the journey that people have been on with that and, and kind of how that's actually played out in in real time okay well um I'm gonna say there's been a behind the scenes unforeseen journey if, if that makes sense in itself it's not always been easy because I've often walked into the rooms and not seen myself represented in that room um in itself but um because it is a predominantly male quite dominated um industry but I think for most people it's about sometimes being I like to think of myself as being irrepressible in itself and kind of having a little bit of um self-belief And I think it's about really connecting with allies and building out a really strong network um, in itself across colleagues and friends and being able to um, learn fast, 
um, switch it up sometimes as needed, but also working smart, because I think that that's what sort of led me to where I am at the moment, as it stands. I think diversity is really, really important, representation, diversity, diversity and inclusion. But um, I think community is key. And I know that we've come quite a long way from, you know, where we were however long ago. We've made really good strides, but I think it's still about us making sure that we challenge perceptions. Um, We continue to really pave the way for equal pay, equal rights for all in itself. And it's really great that... um, you know, there's a focus on representation, diversity and inclusion um, as it stands at the moment, because it's a platform for us to network, build those allies out um, and also continue to challenge what is the status quo in itself. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I think um, but really appreciate your your kind of your input there, because, you know, as we all know, it's it's there's been a spotlight shone on these challenges yeah. uh, more yeah. so over the recent years than probably any time previously um you know it's on it's on the agenda of every single boardroom now and i think Mm -hmm. it's you know wildly obvious to everyone that's involved in these decision making processes that the benefit of having a truly diverse and inclusive team right you know so it's not just about gender or color or religion or it's 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 broad it's broader than that is it's more kind of experiences and everything different skill sets different backgrounds different upbringings um So, yeah, you know, I just I always like to ask the question because, um, yeah, you know, we, we get it all the time in the line of work that that we do. And it's a really sensitive topic. And it it's, is, it's, yes. it, it's it's often hard to if I'm being really candid, it's hard to know what to say. And I've been very vocal and said, I think, you know, obviously we're getting more and more. Um, kind of you know if you think about the the diversity around gender for example that's Mm -hmm. getting that's getting better which is great but we still need to do a lot more and we still need you know really the people that need to be driving this are are the men not just the not just the women right Um, yeah yeah, exactly which is what you know what you started to to kind of touch on there which is great so look no really appreciate you sharing your experiences there so So that's one of the reasons why I really do like um, ET as an organisation, because that point that you made earlier with regards to the fact that it's it's been discussed and it is um, a topic as it stands at the moment. But um, ET are one of those that really have um, they really did have the desire to have an impact in this particular area. And they actually shaped their um, kind of RD&I programme around that and what I find really really great is they've got a manifesto they've got a clear mission but what's really really great is they share the data so they're not just talking the talk they're walking the walk so to speak so Mm. our team in itself our data practice team is 50% female um we're also 29% black Asian and minority black browns in itself but they use surveys um for to kind of you know make sure that people feel that they can be their true and authentic self and I my understanding is the results of the last survey was that 80% of those in that sort of you know black Asian minority background um in itself 80% from the last survey said that they can be their true authentic self at work which again I think is really really important yeah because you know all of the conversations all of the things that you've talked about before so I, I love the fact that they are truly committed not just from a this is a desire but actually from an action point of view 
it's built into their KPIs and so forth. And, you know, more recently, they actually won an award for Best Diversity and Inclusive um, Initiative through Management Today, which I think is testament to their commitment to yeah. RDNI. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's 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 really impressive. I think, you know, you touched upon a point there about, you know, talking the talk and, and then walking the walk. And I think, unfortunately, we're still in this place where, um, you know, there's a lot of businesses out there. They understand the benefits, but they're talking a lot of this talk and it's more of a tick box exercise to look to be seen to be doing something around this yes. right um yeah. and i have conversations all the time you know i'm sure you can only imagine but you know we, we get approached we're looking for a senior hire we'd ideally like them to be you know from a BAME background or we'd like them to be female and uh, you know where where yeah. do you go with that and then you look around the senior leadership team and it's like you know these are all 40 to 60 year old white men um it's not just going to be as easy as just hiring someone that's female or that's BAME because yeah. the representation is so far adrift from what you're looking for that yeah, those people you can only don't get what you see. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Those people that are looking at that organization, they now don't look at that as somewhere that they are going to feel comfortable working, you know. So there's a big process piece that goes on behind the scenes, which it sounds like Engine have, have done a really great job on, which is Absolutely. really good to hear. Yeah. Um so bringing it back to CRM then, obviously yeah. your your baby. Um, what what noticeable changes have you seen in the kind of CRM data space since the pandemic? And I guess the reason I start there is I'm sure there's probably two very distinct moment in times between, you know, what the what the, what COVID did for the world <laughs> in terms of customer kind of behaviours and wants and needs and desires yeah. before and after. So yeah. Um... As a CRM specialist, I'm always going to believe that customers will always be the voice of an organization in itself. And it really is about forming those strong, long-term, profitable relationships with their customers. Um, It should always be a top priority, um, whether it's today or definitely kind of post-pandemic, as we've seen. Like you said, there's been the before and there's the after. The pandemic triggered huge changes in customer um, consumer behavior. Because we spent less, um, we went out less, but we shopped online more. Um, And that digital explosion in itself um, means that customers' expectations now, they expect a real seamless digital experience across any channel. Um, You know, they they truly see the, the brand as one. So it doesn't matter if they've got an insurance brand with you or, you know, other products, they don't see it by product, they just see you as the company as one. So really trying to drive that seamless customer experience across digital and offline channels and making that as smooth and easy to navigate as possible is really important. Um, Obviously, that means that companies have had to pivot their customer engagement in itself um, and around sort of innovation and adoption in itself. And that's meant that data, tech, CRM has really sort of come to the forefront to play a part in that because it is about um, being able to capture the right data, analyze um, that data in itself, really understand the customer's needs and motivations and being able to apply those learnings to understand what data do you need, what tech do you need and what should CRM be focusing on to help you kind of grow, compete and win in a post-pandemic environment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's become so obvious, I think, 
in the world in terms of the brands that are at the forefront of this and the brands that aren't so i put a um, <clears throat> probably turned into a bit of a rant actually on linkedin i didn't mean it to but um basically you know so as a business we use starling for example for our for our banking you know i had a an issue processing a payment and you know went on to the app two minutes spoke to spoke to a person done mm-hmm. problem problem solved um whereas my personal banking is with a you know traditional bank and I won't name names but um effectively I had a letter through to say that I'd missed a payment and I hadn't so I tried to call up couldn't get through went on the app speaking to a chatbot who couldn't understand what the problem was you get stuck in that loop mm-hmm. um then it's like okay call this number call this number okay to to identify you you've got to put in the just the digits of your postcode tried to do that it couldn't recognize it in the end I just put the phone down I was like well this is looks like a, yeah, a missed payment yeah. on my on my record because I just <laughs> just don't have the patience to to, to deal with it um, to navigate yeah so it's that bit around making it easy like you said and, exactly you know easy for the customer yeah and not being hard to do business with is really important absolutely absolutely so I guess kind of breaking that down then into the reality of the day-to-day situations because obviously you know the banking is a great example because it's everything it's something that everyone can relate to right but obviously you've got your digital first banks you know the Mm -hmm. style in the monzos of the world that didn't have this legacy to contend with you know they just got straight onto the digital platform and it made it really easy to bake Mm -hmm. in the customer into into that kind of and integrate them into that process whereas the traditional banks you know it was different systems it was silo data it was blah 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 how can businesses now go about kind of maneuvering themselves just to be better in terms of understanding their customers, understanding their you know needs and wants, um, you know, putting the customer first, essentially? How, mm-hmm. how, how can businesses do that better? So really, I mean, it's including but not necessarily limited to a number of things. It's using tech um, and having the tech offer opportunities to source, collect, manage, and build out data in itself. So going from disparate systems into that single customer view to really drive the power of um, communications off the back of it. It's about using data and using that data to kind of fuel tech for things like machine learning and predictive modeling. So you're not always looking back, but you're starting to look forward using the data of what you've seen in the past to inform what's going to happen in the future. It's also about that data and tech and CRM in itself, um, supporting that kind of marketing automation um, in that bit and that real-time personalization to identify what the next best action should be. So, you know, in your example with the High Street Bank, you know, it's it's one of those where they've got a chat box. Clearly they've used data to try and put different frequently asked questions into that chat box. But as soon as you ask something that's out of the norm, it, it kind of just puts you in a cycle where it's constantly trying to put you into one of the boxes. But we're <laughs> yeah. customers, right? We don't want to do that. We we kind of want to, you know, we think we're individuals and it's trying to get that one-to-one experience of I am solving your problem or your challenge or your issue as seamlessly and quickly as possible. And the last one is around CRM. Um, and I'm always going to promote CRM because that's about supporting 
um, data, you know, collecting data in itself, understanding customer interactions, understanding what their behavior is, so that you're driving that greater relevance in channels, in messages, and in timing. I mean, wouldn't it have been great for that tool to be able to recognize that you didn't get your question answered and perhaps trigger an SMS to say, or a phone call or something to kind of come back to you as opposed to you just being able to like, well, I just have to accept the situation as it is. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it can be, it can be hugely frustrating, can't it? And I yeah. think um, from a customer experience perspective, then it's, absolutely. it's no wonder why everyone's starting to shift a certain way. Um, yeah, no, it, you made a really good point there around obviously the, you know, using technology and then all of the advanced you know analytics um Mm -hmm. kind of tools and platforms that we have to start predicting about what customers might want moving forward you know rather than just reflectively looking backwards um i had uh recorded a podcast very recently actually with the the former CDO of of virgin media o2 um Mm -hmm. who who talked about very very openly and very refreshingly honest actually who kind of said you know we talk about customers being the focus of our business and that's what everyone's striving for but ultimately that should almost be a prerequisite you know businesses that are really succeeding with using data analytics are looking at okay yes we've got to put the needs and desires and wants of the customer and their experiences first at the heart of the business of course but ultimately the the ones that do better go beyond that that they go beyond okay what what comes next what's what's around the corner what do they actually what do they want that they don't know that they want yet and how can Mm -hmm. we get ahead of the competition by getting to that place first which was really interesting to to kind of hear and exactly what you've just said definitely because it is about brands being more agile and as part of that it's about being able to iterate and learn quite quickly and to the point that you raised earlier, there are le- sometimes there are legacy organizations that have legacy systems that were not designed to cope with the real time interactions of today. Um, so it's how do you use data tech to plug those gaps so that you can look more real time or be more real time as an organization and be more responsive in yeah. itself? Because you know, that's the only way really understanding, you know, um, those triggers, you know, in itself that help you drive um, improvement. So it's understanding what should I be measuring? And I love, there's always a quote that I love that is that just because you can measure everything doesn't mean you should type of thing. So it's working out what's important to you. How do you ladder up all of your strategies into a kind of measurement framework that is is universal across your um, customer? And like you said, putting customers at the forefront of that in itself, but understanding what to measure, what to learn and being able to be a bit more agile and a bit more iterative it's test, measure, learn, improve, right? That's the mm-hmm. cycle that all customers really need to be going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, you've worked for some, you know, worked with and for some major, major brands, some huge, you know, Goliath organizations in the past and advising them on these types of, of things. What I always find fascinating is, especially in those businesses that are so big that have so many different silos and data all over the place and how 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 do you get them to a point of saying right this is your most accurate singular customer view 
It's trying to have a single source of truth because even within systems, you can have two fields that look similar in a system. Um, one is more up to date, say, than the other, because one's updated in a kind of more real time. The other one is perhaps updated in a batch. Unless you kind of really understand the difference between those two data sources and perhaps you merge them into one universal single customer view platform in itself so that you are constantly refining your data strategy, so to speak, um, and constantly building that. So as new data sources come online, um, you're plugging that into your kind of almost like your marketing model in itself, but your single customer view. So you're constantly refining your knowledge of data, you know, not just data, but customer interactions and where they're doing and what they're doing and what those paths to purchase need to look like, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, yeah. What, what's the advice, Dion, that you genu- genuinely give in regards to becoming customer focused? Because I guess as with many things in our industry, it's quite easy to talk about the theory of how things get done, but I understand and appreciate the reality is often very different, right? So I guess when you're talking about these big Goliath organizations and getting to the nitty gritty of how, you know, how do you, how does an organization become truly customer focused? So that for me is about centralizing and integrating your kind of on and offline data sources as much as you can and making it more readily available um, to the right, obviously authorised from a GDPR perspective, but the right people at the right time, so that you can, um, that data is readily available in any place, on any device at a particular time, so that you can be more responsive from a real-time perspective. Um, So yeah, it's about trying to build that so that you're not, you're kind of saving time in itself, but you're building, you look at the landscape or the architecture and you understand um, the limitations that you've currently got and then look for new sources that complement your existing legacy systems because you're not going to get rid of them because that's going to be really expensive. So it's how do you use your new tools or define what those need, the capabilities that those new tools need to give you in order for you to to, um, meet a certain use case or deliver a certain customer experience, et cetera, et cetera. So it's about unpicking and understanding the trajectory of where the customer is trying to go, understanding the customer from a single customer point of view, and then starting to look out at the data and the tech that's available to bridge that gap together to actually derive uh, almost like a universal data source. So, yeah, I, I always say it goes back to the single source of truth. Yeah. Yeah. What's your stance? And this is just me thinking out loud here. And this is the part where I normally say something I shouldn't. So um, I apologize. But um, <laughs> but um, what's your stance around the whole kind of personalization perspective? Because I've had people come on this podcast before who talk about one to one is the way the world's mm-hmm. going. And, and then there's other people I've had on the podcast who quite openly said, that's never going to work. Like you know, t- 10 to one might be might be OK, but, you know, one-to-one there's too many variables it's too it's too expensive it's too whatever what just keen to get your thoughts on that so i um personalization is really important in itself because it drives to that relevancy um i think in the real world as much as we strive for one-to-one um you can cluster customers in itself by their behaviors or by their motivations or by their needs so to speak so it's about having dynamic content 
and it's about flexing that content dependent on the you know on the need so you can have one piece of content that's dialed up for a customer that's just purchased with you last week but the same content slightly different for say a lapsed customer that has left your brand and you know the the same message or content dialed in a different way or cut in a different way for a new customer that's just beginning their journey with your brand so really it's about being able to do all of those things yeah yeah, I know that makes sense. So. I, 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 I'm a keen, I always say, start simple, build complexity over time. And that's something that I'm constantly saying to clients. So on your personalization journey, you can go from blast to hyper-personalized, which is really difficult to do. So I'm always like, let's let's personalize a few things measure if that's successful and it's driving incremental value. And then you look at, so that you begin to understand where the dial needs to be. And I'm I'm very hand, sorry. You're not going to see me on this, but you know, like where the dial needs to be for that tipping point of that's the right amount of personalization for us. And anything more is not going to drive that additional ROI in yeah. itself. So it's it's trying to find that tipping point. Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um have you found out of interest working across a variety of different sectors that there's certain sectors that tend to fare? better with certain types of methods than others around that kind of personalization piece or is you know is the customer the customer broadly speaking so there are fundamentals um across all and it's 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 funny because you have similar conversations in very very different ways so it's all about the appetite um and some you know some of our clients are you know, they really want to be relevant. They really want to be timely. So, you know, moving down towards that sort of automation as um, and being able to respond to an action more or less in real time, that's their real desire. Whereas um, some customers that I've worked with in the past have more been focused on the numbers and it's all about, you know, the, the volume in itself. And when you go down the personalization route, that kind of can sometimes restrict those volumes. So I find in those instances, it's really good to do scenario planning and forecasting to try and show and demonstrate that by being more relevant and personalized doesn't necessarily impact your end goal in terms of if you're trying to drive a number of vehicles that you're trying to sell or you're trying to do something different mm. in itself. You're trying to sell a particular number of products in itself because, yeah, it's... it's um. It's quite interesting, but I think it's all about proving the case and driving that incrementality, which I think is really, really important. And it, that sits at the heart of CRM in itself, being able to measure that uplift. So I think it goes back to that kind of making sure that you're testing, making sure that you're learning, making sure that you're measuring, and therefore that will drive what your improvements could be. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess as people, our expectations now are probably so much higher than they were even five years ago, right? Just with the advancement in technology and what's possible. And I think the thing, big, the big thing that I've noticed as a customer of various things is, um, you know, I'd say once upon a time, and you may correct me here, but you know, everything that you'd get would be very sales focused absolutely whereas whereas now you get you just get things that you know uh, i guess they what do we call them in the industry nurturing messages and also um broadening the the relationship to be just beyond the sale 
you know yeah. so what brand messages what other thing is the, is your brand doing that customers would be interested in so you know points of view on sustainability or points of view it's you know points of view on electrification of new vehicles being launched and so forth and helping customers really unpack what that means so i think it's really important from a comms perspective to be broader than just the sale and to be more about that building that relationship and the more that you learn and the more that you know about somebody the tighter that relationship becomes and the more relevant timely and all of those other things your communication packs Mm. um can be bit can will be yeah yeah no that makes uh makes perfect sense how then i guess obviously we get into the conversation and debate a lot in our industry around um kind of roi right and and kind of the the whole value (laughs) component around you do it yeah how do you do it yeah 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 yeah. and and where does the cost start and end and when do you write the costs off and yeah and i guess broadly speaking right and, and i quite vocal been quite vocal about this but you know mo i'd say most businesses in the main unless they're obviously not you know not for profit or you know commercial mm-hmm. businesses let's say are they typically doing this for something right you yeah. know so broadly speaking they want to increase the number of customers or they increase revenue increase sales increase profit whatever yeah. or a reduction in cost or mitigating risk or incre- in- improving operational efficiencies yeah absolutely where does the crm piece fit within that kind of wider organizational puzzle then because obviously we're sat here saying the customer should be heart of the business it's front and center it's key and then there's also things that we could be talking around around i don't know if you're an automotive company supply chain manufacturing so there's all these other components to the business right beyond the customer that are actually really important to the to the to the value component of how valuable these projects become based on a whole host of other factors that might be out of CRM's control, if that makes sense. Yes. So again, I think that that's about defining what your measurement framework looks like. So you're going to have your ultimate business KPIs. And as you said, are you trying to drive more sales? Are you trying to be more efficient? But then it's it's building that backwards, so to speak, understanding what your goal is, then um, having a look at what your um, sort of organisational strategies are. And then within that, from a CRM perspective, what we do in CRM should be laddering up to one, if not multiple parts of that strategy in itself. And it's being able to demonstrate that. So you gave an example earlier about being an automotive and it's like um, fundamentally you do lots of things. You do some above the line comms, you do some below the line comms and hmm. um, you've got budgets that are split across both. But it's really being able to strongly talk about you spent this on CRM um, for this particular car launch, but this is the value that CRM delivered. So, and you know, if you can get to a net positive in itself, so you spent, I'm gonna make up these numbers, but you know, you spent say 30K on a campaign and that's the budget that we had to deliver, but we were able to drive X and Y in terms of revenue from incrementally so not just overall revenue but the incremental revenue now i know from an automotive perspective to the point that you made earlier it's quite hard to pin down the actual roi number because it's how many components do you put in to drive that calculation but i always think if you can show indicatively where it is and you know this is what you spent this is what it's delivered and here's the net positive outcome it's about being able to accurately attribute 
What did the above the line do? What did CRM do? What did your digital media do in itself? And helping have those conversations helps you understand how to refine for the next time that you're doing, say, a big launch. Yeah, yeah. I guess the the, the benefit that I see over and over again with when you talk, start talking about, you know, marketing analytics or digital analytics or mm-hmm. CRM is that those arenas have been very used to kind of perform and measure because that's yes. how they that's yeah. how they that's how they uh that's, kind of create their own that's existence our heartland. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely that's our heartland whereas more operational teams that you know building a data platform to use for this the you know the the cost of spinning all that up versus what you get out of the other side and where do you attribute that back to that's yeah. a little bit more of a difficult conversation to have but i think the marketing sphere in general is is very good at that because that's you know that that's their job basically well we've always had to justify our budgets right we always have to kind of be able to show benefits in itself so because that sits with um our it's almost like yeah it's in our dna as you said in terms of the way that we work and so forth but it's also helping other parts of the business start to understand that so if you're going to invest in a particular bit of technology what is that technology designed to do and what is the benefit that it will deliver so you become more benefit um driven and then work out use cases from that as to what the end goal is and how you demonstrate whether or not it's driving efficiency so doing something quicker or sooner or cheap, you know, like all of those mm. things or driving value through other, you know, through processes, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really interested to hear your thoughts then, I guess, broadly speaking, as across the entirety of our industry, there are businesses that do this really well and they get an abundance of value out of the other side of their data and analytics initiatives in whatever mm-hmm. shape or form. And then there are others that for whatever reason don't do so well. And, you know, they're sat scratching their head saying, well, we've invested all this money and we've not got the value we we're hoping for. And we don't really know why, et cetera, et cetera. From a CRM perspective then, and kind of getting, you know, a grapple around the customer, what are the companies that are succeeding with regards to CRM and customer data? What are they doing that, the ones who aren't as successful not doing, if that makes sense. So um, one of our clients that we work with, we built for them a platform that put various disparate data systems into one sort of a universal marketing model in itself. Um, And what we were able to do or what we're currently doing is what they are doing is taking that as a as a um, starting point and actually building a kind of universal single customer view. So they're taking it from different departments. So, you know, your FS um, data that sits over there or your insurance data that sits elsewhere. Mm. So it's building that, I don't want to call it like a mega <laughs> um, marketing model, but it's it's kind of bringing all of those disparate systems into one place that will help drive better business decisions in itself and I think that's really important in itself for um for companies that are doing it well so it goes back to that having that holistic single customer view because what you don't want um is you know if I do it in the in the example of a, a telco company that say has got a broadband product and a phone product and something else you're kind of running comms and competing with the same customer for those three different products. And what you really want to be doing is speaking to that customer about those three products, but prioritizing which one of those you should be talking to them about in the first instance. And I think where you do that, it, it 
those are the companies that are win- winning those customers that are truly trying to be as customer centric as they can and are using data and tech to bridge the gaps that they've got in their infrastructure i think those are the companies that are winning in itself mm. yeah that's a really interesting concept i've never really thought about it too much like that but but you're right you know if you're a a sky tv customer right you then mm-hmm. you know you've got your phone line Mobile. you've got the broadband yeah, you've the got broadband. your sky sports packages you've yeah. got x y and z and and yeah i guess you do you know the leaflets come through the door for x so, or y right and you're, you're competing, kind of like, hmm. exactly you're competing for exactly the same customer so it's it's reversing that and we've i've built hmm. we've built programs with sky and with um with other telco companies that allows them to do that so they can start to recognize you as a customer that's got one, two, three, four products. And rather than talk to you about one at any one time, that might be the priority, but recognizing that you've got the other ones. And some of the banking systems are actually starting to do that now. I got a letter the other day from my bank that was about one of my accounts, but in the same envelope, in the same letter, it kind of also told me about my other um accounts that I've got with them mm. in itself so instead of sending me three statements which is what used to happen you yeah, kind of yeah. get it as a oh you finally realized that I am the same person <laughs> you know and that drives optimization in budgets and so yeah. forth so it, may, it allows you to do more say more and be a bit more um efficient with your marketing spend yeah absolutely absolutely well Dion look it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and speaking to you as always that's uh, nearly 50 minutes flown by I told you it'd go quickly <laughs> didn't I um, you did. you <laughs> so so um look where where I'm going to end this is how do people reach you if uh, if they want to kind of pick up and, and kind of discuss anything that they've heard today I'm sure obviously there's a lot here around the marketing, the digital, the CRM piece. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that listen to this that will resonate with the stuff that we spoke about early on in the podcast from a diversity and inclusion perspective. Mm-hmm. So how do those how do those people, if they're interested in chatting with you, or if there's people out there that are, you know, potentially uh, interested in working with Engine or working for Engine, how do they mm-hmm. get hold of you? So there's always LinkedIn which is, yep. you know, there in itself. So you can follow us at Engine UK on LinkedIn or you can follow me because I'm on LinkedIn yep. in itself. And I don't think there are many Dion Raysides. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah. Quite a unique name. But um, also our website, which is enginegroup.com, um, is, is another way to also reach out and get in touch. Yeah, perfect. Well, Dion, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, you enjoy your weekend. Okay, thank you very much for having me. I hope you have a great weekend too. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.